0: When I first published The Advice Trap back in 2022, I created a bonus course to go with it. It's called The Year of Living Brilliantly, and it's 52 different teachers, each teaching one powerful lesson on video. Now, honestly, it didn't have that much to do with the book, which is all about taming your advice monster. But I had the idea, and it was an excuse for me to reach out and collaborate with all sorts of people with whom I admired. People like Edgar Schein, and Debbie Millman, and Susan Kane and Tasha Urich, and Desiree Adaway. Now, the course is currently under reconstruction. It's going to open up again sometime in early 2023. But if you've been a participant, you'll know today's guest because his episode is one of the most popular. And if you haven't yet taken the Year of Living Brilliantly, well, look, you can go and get on the waiting list so you'll know when it opens. Just go to yearoflivingbrilliantly.com, put your name down, and you can sign up there. The good news, if you haven't taken it yet, you're about to meet one of its brilliant faculty members. Welcome to Two Pages with MBS, the podcast where brilliant people read the best two pages from a favorite book, a book that has moved them, a book that has shaped them. Now, Bobby Herrera is the author of The Gift of Struggle. It's a short, excellent book on leadership, and he's the co-founder and president of Populous Group. Populous is Latin for people And that is absolutely where Bobby's focus is.
1: You know, at my core, I believe that everyone deserves an opportunity to succeed. I'm a front row fan of the underdog. I'm a student of struggle. I'm number 11 of 13 from a large Mexican immigrant family.
0: Number 11 of 13? I mean, I'm the first of three, and even
1: that was too much competition for me. I can't even begin to fathom what that might be like. Well, for one uh, I still eat with my elbows on the table. I still protect my bacon. And, you know, at, as number 11, I actually thought one of my missions in life, Michael, was to try to figure out something that my parents hadn't seen yet. And you know how difficult that is to do when there's 10 ahead of you that are uh, also quite mischievous. So I think that's where my entrepreneurial skills started getting developed.
0: Now, as something of a contrarian myself, I can really appreciate that. Now, one of Bobby's great loves was sports, but as the son of a migrant farming family, you faced immediate challenges.
1: I would miss summers because we were off working in the fields and traveling from state to state, You know, handpicking the fruits and vegetables that many people take for granted. And I remember then thinking, wow, I'm missing out on so much. And so I have so much ground to make up when I would get back that- I had this fire in me to try to catch up. My family had so much less. And I always felt that I had to do so much more with less or do less but better. Bobby's story could have taken several paths. I mean, I can imagine
0: bitterness or anger or resignation or just this general frustration with his situation. But that's not the path Bobby chose. And actually... Here, let me share a clip from his Year of Living Brilliantly lesson because it's the story of a man on a bus who changed everything in Bobby's life.
1: When I was 17, my brother and I, we were on a return trip home from a basketball game. And along the way, we stopped for dinner. Everybody unloaded off the bus, except for me and my brother, Ed. At that point, we didn't have the means to play sports and afford dinner. It's just the way things were for our family. Well, a few moments after the team unloaded, one of the dads of the other players steps on board the bus. And he teased me a little bit because Ed had outscored me that night. And then he said something to me that I will always remember Bobby, it would make me very happy if you would allow me to buy you boys dinner so that you can join the rest of the team. Nobody else has to know. All you have to do to thank me is do the same thing for another great kid just like you on this bus. Do
0: the same for another great kid. That man on the bus probably didn't realize it. I'm sure he didn't realize it, but he had began a ripple, one that started in
1: Bobby's life and has spread outwards even to today. You know, it's interesting. Something about that story is, um, you know, yeah, I did at that point in time in my life. You know, I had more reverse role models than I care to admit. I'd seen choices that my older siblings had made, many that were very unwise um, and were quite frankly Shortcuts, and there were a lot of opportunities for me to choose the easy road, take some shortcuts in life. Um, But you know that kind act, um, it helped reframe how I saw not only my own story, but how I could one day make a difference. And you know, people have often asked me, "It's like, hey, Bobby, do you think you would have figured it out had that moment not happened?" and I have to be real honest with myself um, in that that's not a real comfortable thought for me, Michael. And I think that's part of the power of that kind act in that you never know. You never know how I can change the trajectory of a confused kid who may be feeling socially invisible.
0: Bobby, what book have you chosen for us?
1: I have chosen The Wisdom Pyramid by a gentleman named Brett McCracken.
0: This is not a book I'd heard of before. So, how did you come across this book? I mean, how did it what, how did it call to you?
1: Yeah, well, you know, um, I'm a very spiritual man, um, very private about it, yet um, you know, live my life imperfectly around that. And uh, it was through a conversation that I had with uh, my pastor just around my leadership journey, uh, my teachings and coaching mm-hmm. around leadership, and we were having this conversation, and uh, he. You know, very kindly paid me some compliments around, you know, some of the wisdoms of my teaching, and he recommended this book to me. Um, and the essence of it is quite simply, you know, a question that I had been asking people for quite some time when I interact with them. I always ask them, you know, hey, tell me about what your sources of wisdom are.
0: That's uh, yeah, a great question.
1: Yeah, and that's that's the essence of the book. It helps you reflect on, hey, what are your sources of wisdom, and in what order are you taking them, and. How are you absorbing mm. uh, and leaning into those sources to, you know, climb that mountain that you're on per se? I love that. And can you remind me what the subtitle of the book is? Is feeding your soul in a post-truth world. So what does feeding your soul mean to you? You know, for me, it, uh, it means, you know, where am I getting that intellectual emotional and spiritual energy that's going to help me mm. in that journey that I'm on live a life that helps me you know, do what is deeply embedded in my purpose and that is to give more than i take and to uh, yeah. pay forward that kind act that that man on the bus gave me that night i love that how did you decide what two pages to read? Because that's always tricky. You might have a great book, and you're like, "How do I pick what to read?" There's so much that's good in this book. Yeah, that wasn't an easy exercise, I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, you know, as I discerned through the book, um, you know i I actually picked a segment that really helped me understand the difference between wisdom and knowledge mm-hmm. uh, in a simple, palatable way. Because I. You know, my observation has been that I know I myself haven't been great throughout my story of really understanding the difference and how each served me. So mm. that's why mm-hmm. I ended up picking. This. I said, you know, if you yeah. uh, if if that's been a struggle of mine, maybe reading that will help somebody.
0: Right. Exactly. It's one of those truths, which is like. I'm probably not the only person who's wrestling with this. I <laughs> it's hope It's true for, for more. <laughs> so I'm, I'm excited to hear this, Bobby. So over to you,
1: reading two pages from the Wisdom Pyramid. And with your permission, I'm going to start with a real simple quote that starts at the beginning of the book, and I think it'll set awesome. context.
0: Yeah, fantastic.
1: Our world has more and more information, but less and less wisdom. More data, less clarity. More stimulation, less synthesis. More distraction, less stillness. More pontificating, less pondering. More opinion, less research. More speaking, less listening. More to look at, less to see. More amusements, less joy. There is more, but we are less, and we all feel it. What wisdom is and isn't. Wisdom is not knowledge, nor is it information. This is abundantly clear in a world where we have more knowledge and information than ever, but less wisdom. To simply accumulate more knowledge is not to be wise. Robots will one day have far more knowledge than the smartest humans, if they don't already. But robots will never be wiser than humans. Wisdom is not a matter of mere data processing. There's no algorithm for it. Wisdom is also not necessarily the end result of education though it certainly can be. Some of the most learned people in the world are not wise, and some of the wisest people in the world are not educated. Wisdom is knowing what to do with knowledge gained through various means of education, how to apply knowledge and information in everyday life, how to discern if something is true or not, how to live well in light of truth gained. Wisdom is not merely knowing the right answers. It's about living rightly. It's about determining which right answer is best. It's a moral orientation, a developed sense of intuition and intuition for discerning right and wrong, real and fake, truth and falsehood, the ability to weigh greater and lesser goods and make complex decisions involving multiple, sometimes competing truths. Wisdom is not something you can Google or download in one fell swoop. It is accumulated over time and through experience. Wisdom and knowledge do have a symbiotic relationship. We can become more or less wise depending on the good or bad knowledge we take in. But the more wisdom we have, the better we become at filtering out bad knowledge and turning good knowledge into spiritual nutrition. Wisdom is sort of like a healthy kidney. It retains what is nutritious and it filters out the waste. A.W. Tozier compares wisdom to a vitamin in that it does not nourish a body in itself, but if not present, nothing will nourish the body. A vitamin will make everything else work.
0: Love that. Thank you, Bobby. So, what what's the wisdom in this passage for you?
1: You know, uh, as I as I unpack that and have reflected on that, you know, from the first time I read it to through my rereads, and you know, for me, it's. Uh, you know, I tend to use a real simple formula when it comes to, when it comes to knowledge that I'm gaining. You know, I I, I often say that, you know, whatever you read, whatever you consume, that's the one percent. Mm. However, the magic happens in the application. Then that's the ninety nine percent. And my observation has been, and I encourage, you know, people that I either coach or lead and myself all the time is. You know, how am I applying what I'm learning? And for me, as I unpack that, that's really the essence of it. You know, knowledge is that 1% and then wisdom is that 99%, that application, that repeated application where the magic happens.
0: So Bobby, how do you decide what knowledge to act on? Because there's so much knowledge. I mean, you said as much in the, in the start, which is like, you know, is relentless, and, you know, I, I'm just looking at the pile of books on my floor here, which I haven't read, all of which right. I bought because I'm interested in them. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't, I, I can't even consume the amount of knowledge that I want to get through, mm-hmm. yet alone then be discerning to decide on what to act upon. So how do you choose what to act upon?
1: You know, I I, I reverse engineer it, uh, at mm. least for me, Michael. What, what's tend to work for me is, uh, you know, first of all, um, you know, I'm an organizational nightmare. And <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, there's there's often not enough. You know, I'm 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 a I'm a seven-year-old after two o'clock in the afternoon. All I want to do is play, right? So I have a limited attention span as it is. So for me, I've had to build a system and process for myself around, you know, being real intentional on what I want to learn. And for me, that is being very essential around you know, what's the single biggest, uh, problem or impact that I want to make and that I right. need to make and then reverse engineering from there. And I will consume a disproportionate amount of the knowledge that I want to consume around that, you know, uh, whether that be around my journey above all, I want to be an all pro dad. So I tend to read a lot about, um, right. you know, how to be a better father and yeah. So when it comes to that, I'll take one or two nuggets, and then I will ferociously apply it, and very imperfectly, like uh, clumsy, you know, as a kid learning to ride a bike, and then I just repetitions of other skills. So that that those are some of the observations I've made for my own journey, and I I think you understand that real well. I do. One of the things that I've come to
0: learn around what wisdom is is as much what am I going to stop doing as it is what am I going to start doing. Because you know, the 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 fault is always so what do I need to begin? What do I need to add on? You know, what's the what's the new thing? Mm -hmm. And so often it's um actually you can just make that much more progress when you go, what what just needs to stop? I'm wondering if there's something you've stopped recently that has felt like an act of wisdom.
1: Yeah, that's a great question because um, I agree it is an editing exercise um, and part of that reverse engineering. I mean, I think that could be really, really broad because um, as I reflect back on the last couple of years through this bizarre chapter that we're in, I think a lot of the, you know, the peripheral that often used to distract me around uh, running a business, running a large business that I'm very fortunate to do. You know, I would get often overly consumed with a lot of that noise coming in, a lot of that pressure coming in from mm. you know external sources from the business, and you know I have a term that I use as I've led my organization through this uh, bizarre chapter. You know, I call it managing the VUCA, and you know it's it's about you know the volatility, the uncertainty, the complexity, and the ambiguity. It's a military term yeah. that I learned in the army, but that's right. uh you know I've completely stopped focusing on anything that I can't control when it comes to the business yeah. and I wasn't as good as I thought I was at that yeah. two years ago uh, right whereas now I like that's something that and, and, and it's been liberating
0: can you can you as much as you're willing to share are you able to tell mm-hmm. us what therefore got moved from that? Slightly, you know, that kind of, because I get what you're saying. There's some things you're like, I can, look, I can't control this or influence it. I just won't even think about it. It's fine. And then yeah. you've got some things where you're like, this is clearly what I control or influence. So I'll focus on that. But there's always mm-hmm. that kind of short list of things somewhere in the middle where you're like, do I, do I not? I'm not sure. Maybe I do. And it mm-hmm. feels like you are clear that you've moved some of those out. Can you, what have you moved off your table so you don't, you don't worry about that anymore?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I think I'll give you a real tangible example that I think is, a uh a very obvious significant pain for a lot of business leaders out there right now, you know, whatever you want to call it, whether it be the great migration, the great resignation, yeah. you know, yeah. all these great reassessment, you know, whatever you call it. It's like, it's right. hard to hire people. It's hard yeah. to keep people. Um, you know, I think, so one of the, initially there was just this wave of, you know, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do this. And I finally, Michael just said, you know what? No, no, long game. We're playing the long game. This is what we're going to do. This is what we can control. I will be receptive and listen to things that can help us in this wonderful story that we're narrating. However, I am not going to to just expose myself to all this external noise from all these experts, so-called, on why this is happening. It's like, you know what? I just turned that inward and said, Hey, how can we help make great people better people? How can we help create something that is, you know, right, part of, that makes them feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves? How do we help them stand out? How do we help them fit in? And focusing on those things instead, not that those elements aren't important that were coming our way, but, you know, at a certain point, it's, uh, it's information overload.
0: I love it you just that phrase you just said how do you help people stand out and fit in Mm -hmm. i'm always drawn to paradox Mm -hmm. and there's something in that phrase which is a delightful paradox to it which is like people want to fit in and they want to stand out (laughs) they want to be part of a tribe they also don't want to be swallowed up and be anonymous they want to be seen for who they are um you know knowing that you've you have founded and run a, a significant organization how do you help people achieve both of those things, fitting in and standing out? It's, it's a juicy, a juicy thing to be able to do.
1: Yeah. And it, it's simple, not easy, right? It, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, at our core, I believe that we all share three basic desires, right? And that is to, to stand, to stand out, to fit in and to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And yeah, I think embedded in that is, you know, number one, making sure that, uh, are they clear on the story that I'm narrating? Mm. Are they clear on the purpose and the invisible force that drives me? And am I intentionally inviting them into this story? Right. And as part of that invitation, you know, getting at the heart of your question, I ask myself other questions like, you know, am I making them feel seen? Do they feel heard? And do they uh, feel like I can hand them the pen per se so that they can narrate their own story and contribute to this one. And those are some of the questions that I ask myself as I am self assessing, you know, am I helping them fit in? Am I helping them stand out? Because I've, my observation has been is is if you're, if you're intentionally addressing some of those questions that I rattled off, it will give you signals on where you need to lean, lean in more.
0: Bobby, how do you then navigate for yourself the amount of control you have in your organization because all of those acts which are granting autonomy, which are acts of empowerment, reduce the amount of autonomy and power you have. <laughs> mm. And you know, everyone's like, oh, I'm pro-empowerment. And then you go, but wait, I have to give up power <laughs> for that to happen? Oh, that, that's not so great. I'm curious to know how you've discovered the art of giving up control and giving up power.
1: Well, one through many hard lessons, first and foremost, uh, right. because I wasn't always uh, that way. And you know, often as I reflect on, you know, one, I think empowerment is different than than trust. Right? It's one thing to empower. However, how well are you connecting trust, and therefore even? maybe raising the standard on that dangerous trust to that, right? Right. So, you know, my observation is that many leaders will empower someone, but then they don't hitch the trust along with it, right? Right. So for me, it's, you know, are both of those connected, right? Can you say more about that? I
0: mean, how how do you hitch trust to empowerment? What does that look like?
1: Uh, Well, for me, it looks like, um, you know, first and foremost, you know, making it, uh, crystal clear from the beginning that the, you know, for example, if it's, uh, whether it be an executive on my team or, uh, on a, you know, I call my employees climbers, whether it be someone, a climber in my organization, um, you know, I think step one is, hey, let's walk through exactly what great looks like. Like what exactly are we making progress towards and where are we now? Making sure there's no discrepancies in our thinking there. And then for me, that's where I'm going to give you the pin. So I metaphorically often, Michael, will take a pin, and it's usually during, you know, a whiteboard exercise or something, yeah. and I will give him the pin, and I will say, you know, I have chosen you for this because your gifts are, and then I fill in the blanks and I think you're better at this than I am. So I want to hear everything that you're thinking. I don't care wow. how big, I don't care how small, here you go. And, uh, I want to see it all. And doing those symbolic, intentional, yeah. you know, vernacular matter types exercises. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I think that's where the, that's where you hitch the trust to it. Right. And really making them feel seen and heard around, like, I'm going to give you this. And like, I'm also going to attach the trust along with it.
0: Yeah. And how do you sit with betrayal because when you trust people, you will be let down by people. Mm-hmm. It is just part of the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not even really personal. <laughs> it's just right. it's just the system. Um, yeah. I, I'm curious to know how you've learned to sit with the disappointment of being let down and having trust broken and that sense of betrayal perhaps. Mm-hmm.
1: I love that question Michael because uh I was horrible at it for a long time. <laughs> um you know, in my book I wrote a chapter titled Not Everyone Will Summit. Yeah. And you know, at the heart of that is embedded deeply in that is that disappointment and I used to take it real personal. You know, I would give and I would give and I would empower and I would trust and I had the naive Story in my head that, like, there's not going to be any disappointment here. And so when (laughs) it happened, I was surprised and I was upset and I took it real personal. And, you know, quite a few years ago, I finally, I think, matured enough to make the connection that, okay, I can't have it both ways. Mm. So I've come to expect it. I still don't like it. However, I will also then do a very objective truth-telling tally and say, okay, where has it served me more than it hasn't? And yeah. am I allowing that one or right. you know, two right. disappointments? You know, And for example, like at the beginning of this call, you asked me, hey, how are you? And I said, hey, I have more blessings and burdens. And I will literally, okay, this has been the blessings and this have, these have been the burdens. And right. if you keep that real honest ledger, like that ledger doesn't, doesn't lie. lie.
0: Well, I like what, basically one of the things that that does is helps overcome the recency effect, which is, you know, two good years get spoiled by the final two months where the wheels came off. And you're like, oh, it's so bad. And you're like, you know what? 22 great months and 22 months where blessings outweighed the the burdens of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah, that that's I hard to do
1: because we we tend to migrate to the bad, right? It's like, of course. yeah, that's that's that horror movie that plays in our mind, and <laughs> uh, I'll yeah. often tell it's like, well, you know what? There's, this is also true, right? This is yeah. also happening. It it doesn't come without uh, w- without without a lot of work. You know, I'm I'm perhaps
0: known by a few people for my catchphrase, which is at the end of my email. I go, you know, you're awesome and you're doing great. People love that. I think I got that idea. Yeah. I'm just remembering I got that idea from your catchphrase where you, which you you sign off from your emails, which is like give is greater than take or give more than you take, which, is, uh-huh. which people are experiencing in this conversation with you and me right now, how you're so generous and how you're so giving. And, and I know you'll have been asked this before, but, you know, um, Adam Grant, famous for his book Give and Take, mm-hmm. and he goes, look, mm-hmm. the, people who, the people who thrive are the ones who give. But also the people who don't thrive are the ones who give. The ones who tend to be at the bottom of the list are the ones who give. And the difference is kind of knowing how to give sustainably rather than not sustainably. How to give from a place of sufficiency rather than a place of depletion or sacrifice. I'm wondering how you've learned to be so committed to giving and still remain whole.
1: Yeah. Another great question because that too was riddled with hard lessons and disappointments in the beginning. Um, you know, I tend to use a lot of metaphors and analogies to remind myself, I give myself a lot of reminders. And one of those reminders for me is, uh, two is a trend. And I've learned over time that, you know, when I'm extending my generosity or giving, you know, as part of my leadership or my journey, um, it's you know it's synonymous with that. Hey, first time, shame on me. Second time, shame on you. Type of thing, yeah. and, uh, or vice versa. However it goes. Yeah. Um, you know, I will stop any trend in its tracks at two, and then right. I will then have what I call a kind truth based conversation, mm, and nice. I will then sit with you know that person or whoever and say, look, I want to make sure whether we both see things the same way here. Here's what I've contributed. Here's what you've contributed. Now, this feels a little unbalanced to me. How can we correct that? Right. Uh, Because I want to continue being generous. I want to continue being a front row fan of your story. However, if it continues along this trend line, I'm not going to want to be. Yeah. And that's a hard conversation to have, Michael. Mm. Uh, But you have to. And that's why I call it the kind truth.
0: Yeah. I love that. One of the things I've appreciated about this conversation, Bobby, is how you go, ah, oh, you know, I made a lot of mistakes along the way. <laughs> I didn't just <laughs> arrive fully formed in a place, place of, you know, enlightenment around how to be and how to do and how to manage. Um, and it feels like it connects back to your reading around the, the wisdom pyramid going, I'm, I'm figuring out knowing what to translate into wisdom, into practice. Hmm. Who do you draw your wisdom from? Who do you look up to as a teacher?
1: Yeah. Great question. Um, I have a few foundational sources. Um, you know, a gentleman that became my second father, this gentleman named Dr. Joe. You know, he's a struggle ridden student himself of, of wisdom. He's been a source for me. he's become like a second father for me. He's forgotten more about leadership and human behavior than most people know. Um, my good friend, Pat, who you mentioned earlier, yeah. you know, Pat and I have developed a great friendship over the years. Um, Another gentleman uh, who actually uh, Pat introduced me to, named Daniel Harkavy. Uh, He wrote Living Forward uh, along with Michael Hyatt. Um, Right, right. So, you know, those are three great examples that I have that, you know, I ask them so many questions about so many things in my life. Uh, And those, these are just, you know, people per se, people that I've intentionally chosen to learn learn from. But, you know, my spiritual journey, my community – uh, other sources of wisdom for me are uh, many, many that I go to well before I hit the search bar on my phone. Mm. I
0: think that is one of the things I'm learning from you. Is is I feel that you find good teachers. I've, I I tend to go. What's the books I can read? And I feel like maybe right. I should ask and be in conversation with some more people. So thank you. Um, Bobby, I've loved the conversation as I knew I would, um, as a, as a question to tie things together or (laughs) do something, um, what needs to be said in this conversation between you and me that hasn't
1: yet been said? Uh, Michael, I too, always enjoy our our conversations. Um, I think perhaps, um, you know, leaning into some of the wisdom I've gained from you is, you know, I try myself not to be an advice monster. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, I think perhaps, um, instead of something that maybe hasn't been said, maybe a question of encouragement and around our topic is, you know, um, encouraging anyone who listens to our conversation to ask themselves, you know, what are your sources of wisdom Mm. and how are you applying those sources to create a better story for yourself and others? Um. I think perhaps just spelling that out more intentionally as a reflective yeah. uh, question of encouragement could do some good.
0: You know, in the conversation, I mentioned how much I admired Bobby's sign-off, his email sign-off, give is greater than take. I mean, I love it for what it says. And of course, it partly it reminds me of Jacqueline Novogratz's phrase, which I quote all the time, What if you could give more to the world than you take? But I really love it because it reminds me of Bobby. Um, It's my experience of Bobby. He is relentlessly generous. Part of why I think he lights the way for us all is he practices this core mantra, give is greater than take. And he does it all day and he does it every day. You know, the question I'm asking myself and let me ask you as well is, so have you got clear on what you want to stand for? And how well are you living up to that in the minutiae and in the, in the heartbeats of everyday living? I know <laughs> that's a hard question. It's got me looking in the mirror and going, I don't know, Michael, how are you doing with that? If you enjoyed the conversation with Bobby, let me suggest a couple of others uh, to go back to. Zach first, to manage with courage. You know, Bobby's done some really interesting things as the leader of his company. Um, Zach first, part of the Drucker Institute, um, has some wonderful insights about what it means to work with other people. And Chris West, uh, who read one of my all-time favorite books, Where the Wild Things Are, um, that conversation is called And the Walls Became the World. It's a line from Where the Wild Things Are. If you want more about Bobby, I mean, his organization is called The Populist Group, but for Bobby himself, I suggest you look up his website, which is bobby-herrera. So B-O-B-B-Y dash h-e-r-r-e-r-a.com you'll be able to pick up a copy of his book there although of course it's available in all the places you normally buy books Um, he's also an opportunity to click with his LinkedIn there at the bottom of that website thank you for listening I I love this conversation Bobby is somebody I admire greatly and it's lovely to be able to chat with him again I hope you enjoyed it too if you did please pass the episode along to one other person who you think might like it. Um, thank you for your reviews, for your support, for those nice notices, those nice emails. I really appreciate your encouragement. You're awesome and you're doing great.